are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Mohana Talapatra, a leader with over 25 years in global investment banking and consulting. In her last role, Mohana was practice leader for sustainability and ESG at one of the big four. Hey, Mohana. Thank you for being a guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Hi, Sada. Lovely to be on this podcast and to be speaking with you today. I think about all the issues that are important to us in business and especially as being women in business. So very excited. Thank you. Me too. Looking forward to this conversation. So let's get started with a quick introduction. Do you have an elevator pitch? Do you have this quick thing that you tell people whenever you meet them? Because I get very flummoxed sometimes when I start giving a detailed <laughs> No, absolutely. And that has been me also. And like, can we just talk about not me for a bit? And I just tend to gloss over it very quickly. But I think as part of my recent training to be a coach, I'm learning that if we don't claim the space where we stand and where we want to belong, nobody's going to give us that space. So off late, I'm learning to craft an elevator pitch, but I've not gotten there yet. But yes, very briefly, I've had a 25 plus year career across investment banking, consulting, studying, working and living across the UK, Americas, Asia, Greater China and now in India. So all in all, I've had a very multicultural studying, working, living experience and typically all in nearly type A, predominantly male-centric work environments. And most recently, I have been a sustainability and ESG practice leader at a big four. So that's me. That's so interesting. I love the experience that comes from having worked across geographies. I think it opens up your mind, really. As someone who has worked across multiple geographies and leadership roles, do you believe that women leaders face challenges that are different to their counterparts? Absolutely. And I think this is a great question, especially because now when I think back in all my roles across different regions, organizations, parts of the world, I think some things stand out as being common threads. And I think let me start by looking at it right from when a woman leader comes into an organization and then the entire journey whilst they're there. So if I were to look at it that way, I think it starts right at the time of hiring. You know, how many a time women with equal qualifications and experiences will get hired at a level or a compensation band below that of their male peers for the equivalent leadership role or position. And uh, there is no way to contest that from the outside in, right? Because you have no idea of what the internal band or the structures look like. But once you're in the organization, you recognize and realize the disparity of it. And then it takes a long time to reach peerage. 
because then you're already in the system and you're going through the groups. Now, once hired, women are, of course, uh, as is the experience for all of us, routinely expected to outperform on all our KPIs, just to sometimes even qualify for peerage with a large organization and our male counterparts. And then comes the big whopper of it all, the performance review and promotion discussions. And it's been my experience that I think women aren't given that due recognition most of the time. And I would say this also has to do with us a little bit because we don't ask for it. We don't uh, speak up about our accomplishments, about our achievements. This can go back to how the age-old gender conversation and stereotyping is done at a very early age. It can go back to cultural nuances. I really have no idea why this happens, but this is something that is very typically seen in mostly all women leaders. We hesitate to speak up, even about our own accomplishments and achievements, right? And as the old adage goes, you don't get if you don't ask. So there is that. And I think if I had to think about a couple more other things, and then of course we can talk about this, is that leadership styles. I find that it's a challenge in a way where if you do too much either side, then you can be very easily branded as being one way or another. For example, you cannot be too strong or assertive a leader because then you are overcompensating for your gender. And if you have a balanced, inclusive, empathic leadership style, which is not very type A, then you could get branded as being soft and uh, consensus seeking. In other words, indecisive. So where is the fine line? It's not very obvious, not very clear. And I think the other thing is also that I've seen when I have been in a senior leadership position, looking at my managers, how they've been hiring employees into the organization. I've seen that one of the things is that whilst women often have to juggle multiple responsibilities at home and the workplace, this gives them an edge in multitasking, but it sets them back on the career track. And organizations typically will, of their own accord, either give a woman employee less responsibility in the role or may not even hire women into roles which demand a lot out there. And many a time this is done leaving the woman's choice and preference out of her own decision matrix. And I've seen that as a woman leader when my managers have been making those unconscious biases at the time of hiring or at the time of progressions or promotions. And I've questioned it and I've been told, but XYZ is at this stage in her life and will she really be able to devote time and energy to this role? And I'm like, why don't you leave that conversation with her? Why don't you have an open time? Why are we to assume, presume, right? So there's so many biases and they run through the entire course, right from hiring to the entire tenure of a woman leader's existence. Agree. And none of these are small things that you can overlook. They have an impact, a snowball impact on women's careers and their aspirations, the opportunities that they have. How would you, Mohana, describe your own leadership style? And do you think it has evolved in the course of your career? And of course, as human beings, we are constantly evolving. But leadership, and as we know it, what was defined as a good leader, that definition stayed stagnant for a very, very long time. And I think that has impacted all of us and how we behave with ourselves or with others. But I think it's changing. It's dramatically changing. That's, again, a very thought-provoking question. I think leadership that... I uh, saw about 25 years ago was a very different leadership style where it was very top-down, very autocratic, 
in a way where do as you're told type of thing. And that's been evolving and changing over the years for the better. Of course, as for my personal leadership style, I think it's always been involved, inclusive and collegial. And I'll be honest with you, Sudhna, I think I've been sometimes called out for it and not in a good way. Yeah. Right. Because I've been told I'm not hard enough or I'm not laying down the rules as much as I ought to. And that's been the other side of the coin in terms of being too inclusive, collegial, involved. But my personal belief system is that I'd like to give voice to the particularly shy and underrepresented team members by giving them platforms and opportunities to be more visible. And uh, this is critical because I think that way one doesn't end up subconsciously discriminating against team members who might be and are equally smart and equally hardworking, but they keep a low profile. And this happens quite a lot, gender notwithstanding also. And this is something that I call as the negative quietness bias. But particularly women tend to have this more than men. Generally, there's a quietness amongst women that sometimes does not work for them. So yes, so I try to kill that negative quietness bias right at the beginning. And another thing I do is share credit with the team. Always. But I take the fall on my shoulders when something goes wrong. And this is important because this is important from building trust. It's also important from a perspective of the fact that I have your back. You're just here to do your best work possible. Go to your play your A game. If something goes wrong, I'm the coach. I have your back. So that's the kind of messaging and the actions that need to go out to our teams always. Yeah, that sounds like some great advice, Mohana. And moving from that, our structures within organizations. (laughs) What would your advice be to younger female and underrepresented colleagues? How do you navigate power structures in organizations? I mean, this is like something I don't think they teach you in management degrees. And I think it's something that you kind of learn intuitively as you kind of go through your own journey. I can only talk about what has possibly worked for me. And just from my kind of life experience is I would say just network, 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 because all organizations these days are inherently matrix organizations. Mm -hmm. So the best way to navigate power structures is possibly to align with a few different formal as well as informal sponsors within an organization. Mm -hmm. People who have the opportunity to see you outside of the immediate role construct, who have the ability to observe how you deal with people, your peers, your managers, your teams, across lines of business, across geographies, across multiple clients, and across different cultural dimensions. And that is important because that builds a lens into you, which is not a very role-driven lens, rather it's a a skill-driven lens to you. So that I think is important. The other thing, a tactical thing that I would do is in the reporting chain, I would find out who is my manager's manager, so skip level and a practice leader and um, set up a, a rhythm of connecting with each such level or layer of people proactively. So that kind of keeps everybody informed on where you stand, where they stand. And I think the other thing that I'm learning now, especially now as I am learning to be a business coach, is that we talk about or we make reference to a systemic order in organizations, in society, in life, which takes precedence over all else. And sometimes in order to maintain that systemic order and to navigate power structures, I think one has to be a little flexible 
to accommodate the big personalities which come with some of the larger positions, which are yeah. executive level positions. And what that means is generally that somewhere one has to keep people in powerful positions involved. So even if you are fully capable of solving a problematic situation at work related to a work project on your own, it's important and I think it's advisable and a good practice in that sense to involve and inform those who matter about the situation and what you did to resolve it also, more importantly. So I think in a nutshell, that would be it. True, true, true. Coming to this next question, whenever I speak to women, a lot of women, professional women in India, and especially senior women, I hear that women have the same opportunities and chances as their male colleagues. So my question to you is, it's a true or false question. Women in India do not face challenges in the workplace. No, I think it's false and it's a big, bold false. And uh, what have been your experiences of being excluded, people taking credit for your work, not being promoted or being given your due or not being allowed to be vocal or visible? I think let me start by taking the easier question first. The easier question would be people taking credit for your work. And I think why I say that's a easier question is because I think it's a bit of a gender agnostic global phenomenon and it falls more to a power hierarchy or a power structure hierarchy, if you will, because it's been happening for decades now. The most famous one is Rosalind Franklin's groundbreaking work on discovering the double helix strand structure of the DNA, but which got credited to Watson and Crick, who ended up with the Nobel Prize for it. So there are many such examples throughout history in the modern world, except that that will continue to happen for a while. One can't wish that away. And it just is a reflection of the power structure. So how higher are you in the organization? How much influence you wield and all of that? We can hope for a more equitable world in the time to come, but that's the way it is. And uh, Yes, it's not something that is easy to digest, but when I put it into perspective with the fact that if the woman who discovered what the DNA strand looks like wasn't given credit for it until much, much later, then my little contributions or big contributions, even if they are taken away from me, I can learn to live with that a little bit. As far as being excluded is concerned, I think sometimes it happens very obviously or overtly, and sometimes it happens not so overtly. There are times when I have been excluded from projects, especially when I've taken holidays. And this is, I think, something that needs speaking about because people in today's corporate world are just afraid to take holidays just because they are so insecure that there's another line of people waiting to jump on the prize project if they go away or disappear for a week. And it mm -hmm. has happened to me. I won't deny it. It has happened to me more than once. And I've been eased out of projects either for that project or using that as an excuse or pretext for easing me out of an important market or an important region or an important account for that matter. And then been told that you are best at hunting or incubating. So this is now critical mass and you don't need to spend your energy and time to this because we could use you somewhere else. And 
So then the question arises that am I always going to continue to incubate and build and build? When do I get the chance to be handed something which is ready-made on a platter and be recognized for that? So there is that. It yeah. does happen. Yeah. It's really telling that example because we see so often excuses. They are masked in a manner as if they're thinking about you, but yes. it's not about you. They are just masking the language in order to keep you excluded and exactly. in order to keep you down. Self-doubt, imposter, how do you tackle it? Was there a career move that you missed because of it? This is a question that I think I sometimes ask myself. Big career moves, strangely, I've not really had that imposter syndrome or self-doubt. I think because if I step back a little bit from myself and look at all of us in general, the world in general, the working world in general, I think nobody is 100% ready for the role that they are going to be essaying or taking on. And when I see myself in that perspective that I'm just also one of those people and we are at best, everybody walks into a new role meeting at best. 80% of the ask. There's no perfect ready-made candidate for any role in the world. And I always repeat that to myself. And I know that I have my strengths to rely on. I'm a fast learner. I'm an intuitive learner. And even though I might sometimes feel like an imposter from time to time, who doesn't, right? But I've trained myself to think like a man. And you'd <laughs> ask me here that how does a man think differently, Yeah. Right? So a man would walk into a role or apply for a job fulfilling maybe 40 to 60% of the role ask, and they're going to make up the rest as they go along. And they're going to be very confident about the whole thing. Whilst a woman would typically feel qualified even for a role or a career move only if in her head she needs 120% of the JD ask. So what are we looking at? We're looking at a delta of 60% between the man who is 60% ready and the woman who is 120% ready, but uh, the woman doesn't feel as ready as the man does. So somehow I've kind of trained my brain to think like a man in that mm -hmm. perspective. So that's, that's my that's, answer. That's very good. That's very good advice. That's what we need to do. And this is what I talk about constantly because of the number of times maybe I've found on things or the challenges that I've faced and I've not had the confidence to own up or to say that I'm not doing it because I do qualify. I have all the skills, but I'm not doing it because I'm not confident enough to do it. So really good advice there, Mohana. Thank you for that. So while there are expectations that women should promote and support other women, we know that often women leaders can be the biggest barriers to career progression. Oh, yes. And as I was discussing the other day with someone, this is called the queen bee syndrome. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with this? And if yes, why do you think that is? Yes, this is very, very true. And I've uh, only had about two women bosses in my life. So I don't have a large uh, data set to choose from or to generalize in that manner. But I think I can safely say that both of those experiences have not have been disappointing. Hmm. Uh, they didn't live up to my personal understanding or my personal expectation of women empowering other women. Hmm. And I think I will also answer this question in the context of the industries that I grew up in or I built my career in. So I was largely either in investment banking or consulting, typically male-centric cultures for various reasons and the demanding nature of work not being the least to them. So I think in the way I rationalize it is I think sometimes to hold on to their own or to hold their own in such male-centric cultures 
women leaders who actually reach the top and get there often feel that they have to pander to the crowd by not being seen as soft by promoting or supporting other women yeah. and some yeah. perhaps also to secure their own positions so it's done as much from a perspective of outside perception as also coming from an inner need to secure their own positions and i don't see why that is so but i've seen that typically such strong capable women leaders could be perceived as potential career threats so yeah 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 from my understanding they usually do not want to stand out and they want to be a part of the crowd which is the male leaders and so they will sometimes be more aggressive or more assertive yes. more exclusionary than men might be in those situations. Uh you know one I was at a conference recently and I heard someone say that it was about women in leadership and someone on that panel said yeah women can have it all if they choose. So my next question is about workaholic versus work life balance. Do you think it's possible mm-hmm. to arrive at an acceptable balance because I don't think you can have everything. You need to make your choices about what Absolutely. is important to you. Absolutely. Very true. I think this is not women can have it all and there was this most recently famous Indra Nooyi interview which I think you might have seen as well about how the career clock and a woman's life cycle clock are not in tandem so they're always always at conflict when you're starting out early in your career you're also young and ambitious but you're also getting into the institution of either marriage and the household responsibilities and then when you're really peaking that's the time when you're taking responsibility of elders in your home either your own home or the you know partner's home so things are never aligned to really foster a woman's growth through her career but that apart i think this is also industry specific in some ways because in certain industries arriving at this kind of a work life balance would be virtually impossible like investment yeah. banking or yeah. advertising or you've been in the advertising world or in consulting so in many of these worlds it's practically impossible to even contemplate a work life balance in other industries it might still be possible to kind of define your boundaries right at the start but even so i honestly think that if i have to answer this question realistically i would say that we have to be prepared to make compromises along the way to our career growth if we prioritize our work life balance and high visibility projects will then end up going somewhere else as will your overall visibility so i think it's about us we have to arrive at that decision make our peace with it that which one is more important and it's not going to be easy to juggle both no it is not going to be easy how do you then create a workplace that helps women to achieve their potential and define their path it's not as if all women want to be leaders it's not as no. if all women want to be in the c suite but yes all women want to be doing something that meets with the ambition or the goals that they have and they are unique to them right mm-hmm. aspirations uh, and especially considering india it is clearly defined around the larger ecosystem but not always the case it is also defined nowadays by probably their passion projects and their hobbies mm-hmm. and what else they want to do in life so how do you think organizations can support women 
and help them to actually have more clarity and where they want to go and what they want to achieve. Because too many of us have this feeling of dissatisfaction. And I think it has to do, if, if I can just take a little bit of a step back and say that maybe it does not even have to do the sense of dissatisfaction that we are not living our best lives, not doing our best work. Also possibly comes from uh, societal uh, pressures on what we should be, on who we've been told we need to be. For example, especially in India, we come from a culture which is very STEM-driven. Yeah. So in a STEM-driven culture, to be an artist... Or to say that you want to be an artist and make a living out of it is not always the most acceptable thing. So it starts very early, right from our social conditioning as to why we are not living our best lives. But for our purpose, if we have to think from a workplace and a corporate culture perspective, how do we facilitate this journey for women? How do we enable women to get there? And then I think the biggest thing is that culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? We keep saying that over and over again. And that is so true. Culture comes first, right? So above all, women should feel safe at all times, safe vocalizing themselves safe vocalizing their ambition and to not feel thwarted by doing so. Mm-hmm. That's the culture we have to set about creating. So I have certain things that I follow when I drive culture in my teams. And the starting point for me is therefore the culture of safety and meritocracy, where we spot talent early, we give them stretch projects to help them establish their credentials in the organization that is visible for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. Second, it would be good to establish a formalized mentor-mentee program, ideally pairing up high potential women mentees or even aspirational women mentees who want to do different things with high-performing mentors in business lines separate from their own so that A, they have exposure to the work and the skills and the experience that they can get somewhere else within the organization. And it also serves a dual purpose of removing direct reporting line biases or at least neutral because these mentors could also eventually end up sponsoring or nominating their mentees for special projects, which are enterprise-wide projects, and also eventually provide key inputs into their overall performance review process. Some of the other things one would do is to build communities at work, much like you said, passion projects, skill-based, time spent volunteering, time spent on pursuing ESG projects or whatever have you. And then maybe cross-train and cross-seed women from such skill-based communities at work into multi-domain or multi-functional projects. So they can also go beyond their comfort zones and become multidimensional in a safe environment. And the other thing is, I think the one that is very close to my heart particularly is that I don't want us to stop at making diversity ratios a key KPI only for the hiring purpose, right? No, not at all. And to not stop there. So we don't in organizations do such a great job of defining diversity ratios for progression or for promotion at every level in the organization. We see that the KPIs are marked for diversity hiring, but not for the subsequent stages of progression. And diversity, as we all know, tails off from the middle management level onwards. So this is something that needs conscious thought and effort. And uh, some of the other things, like you said, right, enable better work-life balance, hybrid culture, full-time work-from-home culture for roles that are able to afford it. And most importantly, I think there needs to be a softer angle to this whole culture thing. But aside from doing these tangible measures, which I just spoke about, 
we create an environment for safety where women are able to have conversations about promotions. They're able to have difficult colleague conversations. They're able to have difficult boss conversations, even without judgment, with mm. an HR, which is empowered and facilitated enough to take those conversations seriously and do something about it. And I think we have to lead with empathy. We cannot lead with fear. I remember I once had a, a woman lead a boss who used to say that every interaction for her is an evaluation. Now, if you set that up at the beginning with your team members, then you're not even opening the door to having transparent conversations about creating a culture of trust or empathy you're setting up for a culture of fear where does that get us it certainly does not bring your best performance forward it does not bring forward even your presentability and your confidence it shakes up everything when you tell someone right from the get-go from when they've been hired that your every interaction is going to be evaluated so these are all nuances, but they all matter in the long run. The hard pointers as well as the soft culture skills. Absolutely. Some great advice over there and some great two to things within an organization. What would your advice be to young women who are like in the workforce already applying to and aspiring women leaders? There's so many, so many I can think about, mm -hmm. honestly. But I think I've now spent about 27, 28 years in industry. So the first thing that I would say is our career is a marathon. And what that means is there's going to be ups and downs. And therefore, we can't beat ourselves up over the times that it's not trending upwards. Over a long period of time, if you are still trending upwards, then there is nothing to worry about temporary short-term blips on the radar. It's like the stock market, right? Yeah. We train our eye on the long-term capital gains. We don't worry about the short-term gains, which are going to be taxed much higher uh, tax slabs. So don't worry about short-term losses. Train your eyes on the long-term capital gains in your career. That is the way I've done it always. And I've made some career decisions which have led to short-term blips. But overall, I've kept my eye on the long-term price. And one thing we tend to do is we're always comparing with the Joneses. And we don't have to. No. Everyone is blooming in their own time, at their own pace. And we just have to remember that. And related to that, I would say is that there are some battles which are worth fighting and some are not. And we need to choose our battles wisely. So we have to leave room in our work equation to accommodate personal life changes as we move through life. And that's very important. What that means is when we might be going through a big personal life change, it might be a good idea then to just lay low, stay with the tides, not go against the current, even if there are some things we are totally happy about, because that's not a time to rock the boat. So when we are settled otherwise, when we are feeling strong and stable, we can then afford to take some risks. And taking calculated risks with your career is necessary. I would say it is one of the fundamental ingredients to growth. You have to make certain wildcard moves. It will keep you agile and ahead of others and not to worry about imposter syndrome. Everybody is yeah. picking it till they make it. Everybody is. Yeah. Right? Totally. So uh, yeah, you have to do that. One last thing, if I may, I think this mm -hmm. is important because today we are all discovering that we have multiple skills that we are equipped to do. So I think we have to start thinking about a bouquet or a portfolio of skills that will make us stand out and be unique. So even if somebody graduates with a master's in finance, they can combine that with another skill, which is 
not even ages into that skin, but which one make them a complete different whole. So I can give you a quick example here. Like, for example, I've spent my lifetime in financial services, banking, research, consulting, and now climate change. Those are all left brain skills. But I bring my writing ability from my creative right brain. Now, what that does for me is that I'm able to craft compelling storylines for presentations. I'm able to articulate them well. My imagination from my writing life enables me to think beyond the box while staying logical. And it also helps me connect the dots between seemingly unrelated variables. And this is important for a solutioning approach for consulting. So there are so many of these things that we can actually do. We just have to be smart about it. Absolutely. And be aware of what is happening in the world. Be conscious of what is relevant and what is happening in the world. Really yes. Sure. And you stay relevant, right? Yeah. Stay relevant. Yes. So moving on, who are the people who inspire you, Mohana? People or women? <laughs> People answer. <laughs> well, actually, I had a list of women, but I think topping that list would be somebody like an Oprah Winfrey. She built her life literally from scratch, from nowhere, and she became a multi-billion dollar success. And I'm not counting the money. I'm just looking at her resilience, her determination to crawl out of the space she was in. And then to be able to have reached a stage and space in her life today where she can speak and inspire from her own life experience, but also from a wisdom that brings together everything that she has ever done or achieved, or even the times she fell down and rose up again. So yeah, some of the other people would be Sheryl Sandberg, Indra Nui, Michelle Obama, Kiran Mazumdar Show, because she was way ahead of her times. Absolutely. When she founded Biocon, our pharmaceutical industry was not even ready for something like what a Biocon brought to the table. So she's been way ahead of her times. And there are so many examples like that. If I had to think of men, I would absolutely say Obama. There has not been a single world leader as prescient, as timely, as relevant, as charismatic, and as inspirational as him in the history of possibly any many leaders. Yeah, I second that totally. <laughs> so we have the last question. This is what happens when you're having too much of fun. You come fun, I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so complete the sentence for me. I believe in. I, I believe in an equitable, merit-driven working world where women will be able to stand their own without fear, without fear of judgment or without undermining themselves even. Mm. We yes. undermine ourselves so often. Yes. I yes. think that's the case. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we have to be conscious of that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what we want is very simple. We just want a fair working world. That's Absolutely. what I would like to see. Absolutely. Agree with you. What a brilliant conversation this has been, Mohana. Thank you so much for Thank you. life experiences and your wonderful thoughts and your advice for young women. I think it's been very, very interesting. I've loved having well, thank you. Thank you. The pleasure has been mine as well. Entirely, I would say, interacting with you from your experiences of leading workshops and talking to women leaders globally. This has been so enlightening for me as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.